Hello and welcome to a brand new episode of the SaaS Sprints podcast, the podcast for content marketers in SaaS. And I'm your host, Yag. In this episode, we are going to look to understand how to build your content marketing engine from scratch. And to talk about that, we have with us today, Jacob Rudnick, the director of content marketing at Active Campaign. Jacob is someone who wears multiple hats. He's a storyteller, educator, marketing leader, and an amazingly creative person with a journalism background. He has built the content marketing for Scribe, where he took them from zero to 25K monthly visitors in a matter of six months. So without any further ado, hey ho, let's go. Jacob, I'm so happy to have you here. How are you doing today? Yeah, I'm doing great. Thanks for having me. Really excited to to chat about content and things with you. Yeah, no, absolutely. I'm excited. You led the content marketing strategy for G2 and, uh, you know, you grew their uh, organic blog traffic, if I'm not wrong, from 5K to about 1 million monthly visitors in less than one year. And then you go into Scribe, which is an entirely net new market, a new category totally. And uh, you go from zero to 25K in like six months uh, where there was not even any domain authority left and you you directly started from there. And both these companies, you know, when you look at it in terms of their maturity stages, in terms of categories, very, very different. So can you unpack your two different approaches? Where did you start and how do you go about it? Sure. Good explainer. It's definitely different. So just at their product level, G2 is a aggregator of software categories, right? So yeah. we have traffic, we have content around CRMs and marketing automation and this. So often we're compete we there were other review sites, you know, G, that's what G2 is at its core. And so there's Capterra or software advice or something. So you are competing for all sorts of software lists and alternatives and comparison pages with those platforms. Yeah. But we this is I think is really useful in my content career of thinking of your company competitors and your content competitors as different things. And so to bring more people to our CRM category, of course, we had to build links and optimize our CRM page, but then you would also want to create content around that, right? All the blogs that a CRM yeah. tool would write, uh, maybe not everything, but a lot of them. And so you'd actually be competing against Salesforce and HubSpot and other CRMs, even though they would be actually partners on the business side, they, yeah. you know, they could be your customer, but you'd actually be competing with them in content. And so for me at G2, I actually started as a, I don't know, a research specialist or a content specialist, depending on what day it was. My title was a little bit different, but I didn't know anything about content marketing and SEO. I was a journalist. I'd been working in digital TV, I'd been a sports writer, and I was just looking for a change of like hours and pay and things and startups seemed fun. And over the course of four years, basically, I learned a lot about the business, then started to learn about SEO and things. And it's a long story, but ultimately, we were creating a ton of content. I was overseeing the quality, a lot of editing and the publishing, doing visuals, but not no one was thinking about SEO, director leave, and same with our content kind of director. So suddenly there's a big void and we were getting passed by smaller companies on the content side. So we went from 5,000 to a million because we had had this big website, tons of traffic to all of our categories and things, but we had never written a blog targeting organic traffic. Like we'd written thought leadership that never got read. There's tons of content. It just wasn't targeted and like the kind of HubSpot model of content marketing. Nobody had done that. So we were doing that for the first time. Scribe was a pretty much a brand new tool. They had just raised Series A, you know, five, ten thousand users or something like that. And 
we're starting marketing from scratch. When I came in, there were 18 blogs, I think, on the site, something like that. An agency had written a few, a little bit of SEO focus, but generally nothing of value there. And then maybe there was another 20, 50 pages on the entire website. But G2 had tens of thousands of pages and links from people with, you know, to their badges and all this stuff. Scribe was brand new. And so yeah. for us at Scribe, we were trying to define our own category. Scribe is a Chrome extension that basically automates step-by-step guides or SOPs. So there were some tools that did somewhat similar things. So we could find some search volumes around similar categories, but there wasn't a defined category to go after. And so your it was more problem-based stuff. We when we initially picked topics and things, we were guessing on what people would use our product for because we didn't have data. And over the the year plus I was there, we learned a lot more and we were had to be really nimble about the topics we chose and and how we were doing content. So just a much different different playbook, different stage of company and things, as you said. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. Especially, you know, I, I understand the G2 model because uh, yes, you know, once you have a ton of traffic coming into your website on a daily basis, then whatever content you create and people are looking for backlinks from you, that's a whole different game. Now, when you look at uh, something like a scribe, you know, where the category is not yet well-defined, you cannot go entirely into the SEO model and saying the watch the search volume because you also want relevant people to come in. And at the same time, you also want to educate the market and you want to build specific pillars of content. So that's exactly why, you know, I was going, I was going to ask you about how did you choose your topics? You know, when you don't know who your um, users are going to be, you can take a relatively safer bet by saying that these are the problems that we are addressing. Of course, you know, it's, it's a trouble if you're starting to build your SOP from scratch and it makes sense with a few how-to documents and some suggestions here and there, but that's, that's far and few to build a sustainable list of topics is not easy there. Yeah, absolutely. So again, when we came in, we we had to take some, like I, I come in as, you know, head of content and I don't know very much and I'm trying to learn as quickly as possible, but also get some content up, right? Like you want to put some points on the board. And so took some cues from other folks that were like, I think we will see a lot of traction with employee onboarding, right? You need a lot of documentation yeah. to get started at a company. Same thing with like sales operations. We see that people that are creating content and how-to guides for all of the sales reps or whatever else could be really useful. And so we started there. And so I kind of did what we would do at G2 when we're scoping out a new category. I would look at who's in that space already, what content do they have? And then, you know, we found 30 seemingly onboarding related pieces of content and wrote those. And it worked a little bit. Those pieces were fine and things. We generated a little bit of traffic signups to 3% maybe from the average visitor turning into a free user. But it just wasn't the kind of like wild growth that we would expect. We were kind of facing an uphill battle. If you're trying to position yourself within onboarding, we were either just a little tiny part of onboarding or, you know, we weren't truly an onboarding tool. We were like a tool you used within onboarding at a certain phase. And so when we were trying to position ourselves that way, it was, it just, there wasn't the traction. And so then, so as we did this, it was okay. But again, it wasn't like exactly what the results we were hoping for. So then as we got more and more users and we did this through content, but definitely word of mouth and we had influencers running so people would find our tool on TikTok or something like that. So suddenly as we get tens of thousands of new users, we can ask them or hear from them, what are the problems you're actually solving? How are you using us? And of course, people were using it for sales ops or onboarding, but there's all these other use cases. And one of the best things we did was just what problems do you solve with Scribe? And then what would you use instead? Or what did you use before? And that generated, and like, what do you call us? Because we were a new category. And all of those questions turned into pieces of content. So 
people, of course, we knew SOPs, standard operating procedures, but people kept calling us job aids. And then they kept calling us work instructions. They kept calling us this. And some of them we knew. You could find a lot of that from HRFs. But there was a lot of terms I had never heard of. And even they might have 10 volume or even zero volume in HRFs, but we would write, what is this? How to write a, you know, whatever type of documentation they called it. And you would see 200 people a month reading it and 5% signing up. And so we were finding all these terms that we didn't know about. People were using all these different synonyms for our category because there wasn't a true category yet. Uh, and just listening to our customers and the language they were using was kind of opening up really high converting topics for us where we weren't getting those originally. Yeah, yeah. No, that makes a lot of sense. Before we started our uh, content marketing agency, we used to work for me and my partner. We used to work for a company called Avuma. We were in the conversation intelligence space. Everybody knew Gong. Everybody knew Chorus back in the day. And uh, not many people knew us as the third uh, company there. And one of the key things that we did was we wrote a blog article called uh, Gong versus Chorus. It's a, it was a comparison article. And we genuinely stayed away from doing Gong versus Chorus versus Avoma because it's on our domain. It's going to, right from the word go, you, it's going to seem like we are going to write, we are the best, which is not something that we wanted to do. We genuinely wanted to educate the market. And if you look at the search volume, just like you said, you know, the search volume was only about like 120 a month. And um, if you typically take the SEO mindset approach, you wouldn't write that. But we took a bet and the interesting part was uh, as a result of that where we educated the market and we very subtly said that this is what the category is, this is what conversation intelligence is, this is what revenue intelligence is, this is the gap in the market and this is what is missing in them and very subtly showcase certain screenshot of us here and there without even talking about Avoma. And interestingly, when I look back at the last one year, that was one article that gave us almost like, you know, 30 to 40k deals every single month. And I was like, wow. So that's that's an approach. And when I hear you, it, it kind of confirms that story because you're looking at the intent, you're trying to understand what people are trying to solve for. And sometimes, you know, even if it's not a volume game, you take a bet because that's what you hear from your customers. Yeah, 100%. I think when you hear even once, but especially two, three, 10 times from customers, it doesn't matter what the SEO like tool is telling you. <laughs> people are searching for this, right? And I think You'll see huge volumes like now at Active Campaign, we're competing for email marketing. It's a it's a term that basically everyone knows. Even small businesses like will either know email marketing or how do I send more emails, right? Email is a term that everybody knows. So it's defined. Scribe was kind of grabbing from the corners of a few different categories. Like at least that's how I see it in my mind. Like with four or five categories we're kind of taking a piece out of. So there were, people had a ton of these problems, but they didn't know a tool existed. It was the number one thing we heard was, whoa. I wish this existed six months ago, or where was this two years ago? And so people have the pain, but there is no tool to solve it. So they didn't know what the word was necessarily, but SOPs suck. SOPs are hard to build. Work instructions take a long time. How do I do screenshots more effectively? Like all of these were kind of the symptom of basically creating how-to documentation. Scribe is still dealing with how do you define this category and create that kind of terminology, but yeah, you go where the pain is. And again, when it's less defined a new category, the pain isn't going to be, you might have this, everyone have the same pain or similar pain, but they're calling it different things. They're using their own language exactly. to describe it. So go find what they're calling it and go go there instead of trying to, you know, define it yourself and then missing out on what people, the words people are using. Yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Now let's let's talk a little bit about um, active campaign. You know, one of the things that I love about active campaign is it's got a, a an amazing community around it like when i go on linkedin i see every single day i stumble upon at least a couple of people talking about active campaign but 
Interesting part that I've also observed is, um, you know, as I was alluding to before we started the conversation, before we hit record, is that I do see that, um, you know, Active Campaign works with a lot of um, agencies as well. So how do you define that your tone of voice? How do you define this is what your uh, core point of view as an organization is? Because somebody who is not owning it from internally or somebody who's who needs to take control of it, if that's not happening, then everybody is going to write totally different pieces. So do you take an approach to control it? Do you what's what's your mindset when you work with people there? Yeah, that's a great question. Some two two half months in and not an excuse, but it's like the tone and things that that's been a little bit less of my focus. But where I do see us is we 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 have customers from one person solopreneurs all the way up to enterprise companies. So it's a little bit of everybody, but we definitely see a ton of traction, like the volume of customers and for anybody like that, but we see a ton of volume with the the small biz solopreneurs, right? People getting in for the first time. So to me, and I think this goes for most similar tools, same with Scribe was like, let's bring down the reading level. Let's talk to people. Like they're human one-on-one, like let's eliminate the the jargon and let's talk about the problems they're solving, right? So really making content accessible to me with any of these folks, whether it's the, again, mom and pop shop that have never used this type of tool before, or even the growth marketers, like we're just here to solve problems. We're here. They don't, like nobody gets jazzed up to go send their emails for the business. They get jazzed up because they want to sell that product or their service and like spend more time doing that, right? So Let's make it as easy as possible. Our tool is about making running your business easy and automated. So let's show you what that means and how to do it and how to make those things more accessible. So for me, I think we'll define the those, the brand voice and those things, but I think it's really about accessibility for us and writing to humans. Um, I think that goes with both our product that goes with like the type of people we're trying to reach, but also it's the type of thing that as people write more and more AI content, you know, everything feels less personal. Uh, so let's go the other way and write to real people. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that's, that's uh, you know, a whole other tangent that I have a lot of gripe about. For example, yesterday I saw somebody, uh, you know, asking me that can we produce 25 blogs a month? Uh, and I'm like, that's not how we work, you know. Uh, it's, a, it's about we work on a strategy. It's not about uh, mass producing volume. Uh, it, it's not that. Because... Today, given the rise of uh, generative AI and the way it's used in content, it's as you produce more volume, you're creating a lot of noise. But ultimately, if it's not either inspiring the customer or helping them take action or educating them, and if it's not talking to real people, who is it for? You know. Yeah, totally. And I and I know again we're tangenting here, but I think so. I'm generally with you. I think there's some pieces of content that are are formulaic. Like I look at, you know, G2 is a perfect again example of like every one of their category pages, alternatives, comparisons is, it's not written by AI, but it's all pulled from a database. And it's just yeah. like, it's pretty, it's very similar content that just has different data. And the data is what's useful to people, right? They're coming there for the comparisons and this ease of use comparison or score versus this ease of use, you know? And so the content is original because it's real data and it's what people are looking for, but they don't need like creative writing in their software list. They literally just want the data, right? So you can create that, whether that's like programmatically or with AI, some types of content can be created where you just are giving an answer. That type of stuff is really good for AI. But if you really want to talk about the strategy for how to build email lists and how that type of stuff, like AI has never done that, right? I need to go talk to a solopreneur who is like, 
staying up late after they've worked a job and they've had dinner with their family and stuff. They're working till midnight to build this list and they're successful. Yeah. Those are the people I need to talk to. And so I think there's a place for AI and kind of programmatic content, but it's in certain spots. And then on other times, like you, sh- you it just won't replace, you know, real people yeah. and real content. So. Yeah, no, absolutely. And, uh, you know, interesting that you compared uh, uh, the scribe story here, because one of the interesting observations that I've had is that when you look at a company like scribe, where the use cases are focused on a specific set of uh, teams, Whereas when you look at a product like Active Campaign, you know it's it's like to a broader set of users because it's a, a all-in-one platform. So how do you typically look at it when you are formulating the content strategy for a horizontal product versus a product that is very vertical focused on a set of audience? The reason why I'm asking this is that you know if there is it's too broad, then when you're trying to talk about use cases for different set of people, there is a chance that suddenly the entire messaging gets diluted too much and it's not very clear as to whom you're talking to, who is your primary audience. So how do you look at that? Yeah, that's a good point. I, I will say often, you know, when you write really general content, you try to reach everybody and that can mean yeah. you're reaching nobody, right? Because it doesn't actually yeah. connect. So there's two ways. I think we are horizontal in, you know, a brewery will use us and then an enterprise SaaS company will use us and then this company and then this company. <clears throat> but... At the same time, like there are a bunch of problems that are very similar that are actually kind of deeper, you know, single, like every, even those three examples, they'll still use, they'll still need a drip campaign or they'll still need to, th- how do you think about a landing page? Yeah. And so those different pieces, we can write those kind of like industry or vertical agnostic pieces, how to do this strategy for this and use three or four different examples that even if it doesn't exactly mention that brewery, the brewer will still understand this small business looks enough like us. I can picture myself here. So actually specificity in some of those pieces, though it may seem like it's eliminating who it's for, people will people will still connect to other similar businesses, right? You're looking for yourself and somebody else. So I wouldn't be like scared of those things. And so that's like these vertical pieces, right? How to do all these sorts of types of email or the problems that our CRM solves, whatever. But then, and then we are not there yet. Again, I'm early here and there will be plenty, there's so much content to create, which is the exciting challenge here. But then we do need to create very specific pieces. So again, take brewers. I have a friend that's in brewing. So like, it's always top of mind to me, but brewers will have specific email marketing automation challenges that like other tools, even if it's similar, you can add these like specifics. And so can we take those general playbooks and build one specific to this industry or to this uh, vertical? And so we will create that content over time. The volume is much smaller, but those people, if we're the only one creating like this great guide for how to market your brewery, and it has awesome examples from some of the best like marketed brewers across the country, like yeah. we're going to win those, right? And then people will come in and use Active Campaign because we've given them all the playbooks, we've given them all their integrations that they need. But we can't do all of those. So I think it's two different types of content. The very generic to try to catch a bunch of people with a bunch of yeah. different needs and then uh, really focus in later as we as we build out some of that core core content. Yeah, yeah. No, even in the generic thing, what I really loved from what you said is it sounded more like a workflow. You know, it's not about doing this, but understanding that what you do before this and after this and it becomes a life cycle story so that somebody else could look at, say that, hey, though the industry is different, I totally get it because I also go through the same life cycle every single day. You know, like for example, once I finish this, I do have to put it into a drip campaign. So after that, how do I go back and measure? 
So it's the same set of things that that makes a lot of sense. So on that note, um, you know what? Uh, how do you measure content typically? What what according to you is the most important metric that you would go by? I mean, ultimately, like as I'm having conversations with the CMO or the president or you know even yeah. CEO, but even if I'm you know earlier in my career, like the number one thing is you want to put dollars into content, right? Whether that's paying a freelancer or an agency or even your employees. And on the other side, like you can show real revenue and business growth, right? So ultimately you want to get there. There are different stages for those metrics. Like if you're being asked how many dollars do we put in this month and how many dollars are coming out in content, you will be playing a losing game, right? So that that that's not how at least organic driven content works. So there's leading indicators ahead of time. So I do, again, want to show revenue and revenue over time. That's where I want to get to. For us, like say we have a, a two-week trial. So revenue comes out the other side. And so we would have that as like ARR and there's other metrics we could use there too. But you can call that ARR as our North Star. But before ARR, there are trials, right? If I can get somebody from a piece of content into a trial, that is a good indicator that I've got the right content. You can't get someone to trial your product if you don't have them coming to the page. So I'm also looking at organic traffic, traffic for traffic's sake, obviously, but not useful. So you want the right traffic. Generally speaking, traffic around your niche is good, but some blogs will convert at 0.2%, some will convert at 2%, some will convert at 20%. And so you need to know how those work, but you need that traffic. And then even before the traffic, I am looking at things like, total number of keywords we're ranking for, keyword rankings for like you know, our target keyword, even impressions on search console. Those are all good things. And even like when you're really, really starting, I'm just saying, if I publish, does something index. I'm even looking that early for our first month or two. If I publish, does Google find it? And once we get that kind of solved for it, then we start looking at the rankings. And once we get things ranking and we're moving up towards page one, okay, now let's start looking at traffic more closely. Okay, now we've got traffic. Are people turning into a trial or a free user? Great. Now, how do we turn those people into revenue? And again, once you're when you're focused on one metric, you'll generally see some like some downstream, you'll see some revenue from your first 100 signups or trials or whatever. But I don't really optimize until we get enough people at those earlier stages to really push through. But you know, today, two months in, I'm showing my boss, look at all the content we're publishing. Look at all these new impressions. We're ranking for the right keywords. We're seeing a little bit of a traffic boost, but you know, six months from now, I'll be talking about revenue and how much business impact we're having. Yeah, yeah. No, I absolutely love that. Uh, you know, again, of course, uh, having worked with organization of different sizes, you know, you know how these conversations can go from publication metric versus saying that, hey, what is that one thing that you did last month, Jacob, that uh, took our revenue from here to here? Can we do the same thing or can we learn from that to apply this? And sometimes, you know, it's very difficult to... Um, convince your sales team or somebody from the revenue team on this because it was an experiment it worked this time but a similar experiment might not work so it's it's about uh yeah i love the part where you said that every single piece has different conversation levels i mean different conversion levels and um, you need to look at the intent of each of these things and then probably invest more on product-led content or top of the funnel content depending on what kind of traffic that you're going to bring in yeah, absolutely. Yeah, we, I mean, we look at all these different pieces. I like what you're talking about with experiments, like some months you'll, some things, you know, me coming in with 100,000 monthly visitors and 800 blogs, like I might be able to change one CTA and instantly change error. Yeah. But other times, like, again, we're, we're missing entire pieces of content or types of content. So we need to go publish those. and It'll be six months till we see those coming through. So even in content, there are things you can do day one or month one to make differences. But sometimes it, it is a three month, six month game. And, 
sometimes there's a lot of experiments to get to that point and you'll do a lot of things for nothing but then ultimately you find the right thing turn that like key and you know signups revenue whatever changes overnight and so yeah yeah you're having to have those conversations like set expectations properly it is always a battle we face in the content side of how to get that kind of belief from other stakeholders and them to have that confidence that you're doing the right things. Yeah, yeah, totally. And uh, another interesting observation about you as a person, I, I love that you're almost, uh, I would say, moderately active on LinkedIn, where um, you constantly engage with people. You're on a dozen of really good content marketing podcasts, which I assume originates from the relationship building on LinkedIn. Probably, I think uh, LinkedIn was also a part of your getting into active campaign, the role that you are in. So tell us a little bit about your LinkedIn routine. Uh, how much time do you spend on a, a daily basis and uh, how do you actually make it count? Because one of the things that I'm trying to get out of this is that I also want to encourage more and more people to spend time on the right kind of social media and not just look at it as, uh, hey, if this is converting right away, unless you build an audience, unless you invest in generating demand, you might be able to harvest things right now, but six months down the line, you still want something else to show for you. Yeah, absolutely. So I started publishing content on LinkedIn spring of 2022, basically. You know, I'd always announced my job changes or whatever else, but nothing really, right? And so I was just talking about this this morning with the coworker, but my first couple posts as I... so. Even before this, I, I saw a couple of people doing this at either at Scribe or around Scribe, people I know. And I was like, this is really interesting. This is something I should be doing to build my career, to talk about things. And I had joined a bunch of SEO and content communities. I found myself chatting in there more and more before I posted on LinkedIn. And I started to get this traction. People were responding to me more, a lot of engagement. You know, I saw the ultimate post that like got me to start on LinkedIn. Someone said, SEO is dead or link building is dead. And I was like, well, that's just <laughs> not true, right? And so I responded... And I think I was like respectful, but definitely pretty sharp in the how I responded and was kind of finding my voice in this community. 25 reactions, tons of comments, all people like, yes, absolutely this, this, this. And you're like, okay, so I don't need to be scared. Like, will people respect my opinion? There might be someone that, you know, doesn't agree with me and there'll be comments. We can have a conversation, but I had enough like traction there. So I posted a version of that onto LinkedIn and three or 4,000 people saw it, you know, 20 people comments or whatever it was okay, well, this is great. So then I started doing it more and more regularly. And so over the next year, I think I posted 35 times. I wasn't even doing once a week, definitely sporadic. It was when, you know, inspired when I was finding the time. And so I don't think that's the exact playbook you should use. But I do think that there's value in posting good content rather than posting just to post twice a day, like all the solopreneurs (laughs) are telling you to do. And so, you know, I went from 3000 people seeing a post to I had posts reach 50, 70,000 impressions, you know, talking about content SEO. And you're absolutely right. Opens up doors. It opened up, yeah. helped me to meet, you know, leadership at Active Campaign. They saw it was like they could see all my experiment experience. It was like a, a job interview. They could go through my feed and read all of my thoughts on content SEO and how I thought about things. Right. It led to people reaching out for consulting opportunities. When I said I was leaving Scribe, four or five people said, "Are you looking for a job? Because I would love to hire you." Or this person's hiring right now. Four or five people instantly said, "Do you want a job?" Like that's the type yeah. of reach that LinkedIn provided for me. And so when I'm doing it right, I took about two months off. I actually just started again this week in earnest. But when I'm doing it right, I find one time a day or at least three times a week to post something. Whenever I'm having that inspiration, some little thing I learn when I'm looking at my content or something else, whenever I see an opinion that doesn't feel right and I have other takes, I write those things down. And then when I have that 30 minutes or an hour, I 
write that post, try to write a draft and then tweak it. And then you post, and then you have to be really diligent about the comments, right? You ha- that's where the, the kind of the sweet spot is, is you need something that will get people talking and then you should respond to all of them. Because when I start to respond to these other content marketers, growth people, whatever, even CEOs that have questions, they're way more likely to come back to me, both because the algorithm will put my content back in front of them, but also they have that experience with me. So like no comment is the wrong comment to answer. Even when people disagree, if you have a respectful conversation, they'll come back and turn into your biggest fans. And so it's all about that engagement and creating real relationships. So it's, it is a lift. It's hard to do some days, but then it, it's paid off more than yeah. the effort I put in. So yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. Right. So one of the things that I really liked from what you said is it's about also creating that original content, having your own opinion instead of saying that, Hey, I have this formula of posting twice a day, commenting on five posts every day and connecting with 10 new people. I'm like, yeah, you can still do that. But at the end of the day, you're not going to find your own voice. You know, you have certain opinions, you have certain takes. For example, one of the persons that I really love when it comes to content marketing is I love reading John Bonini's posts. He makes a lot of sense, Databox. And uh, over a period of time, I started subscribing to their benchmark groups purely because their takes were very, very unique. His content was very, he made sense. Basically, if you're trying to network with other content marketers and trying to learn from each other, you need, you're always looking to um, work with somebody who knows the craft better than you. And they're like, wow, that makes sense. So yeah, absolutely. Love that. Cool. So with that, let's go to the second half of the podcast, which we call as uh, rapid fire. I'm going to shoot five uh, short questions at you. The questions might be short, but the answers need not be. And uh, you can speak whatever comes to your mind. Are you ready? I'm ready. Let's do it. Here we go. All right. Here we go. Question number one. Now, when you moved from Scribe uh, to Active Campaign, or probably from G2, did you ever have any insight on? some sort of a cheat code or uh, easy way to do to rank better on G2? On G2? <laughs> yeah, so there's an algorithm there. You certainly need number of reviews. It's very helpful. Um, there's also a bunch of factors like your social following and things. So if you could bump your Twitter followers and LinkedIn followers for your company pages up a bunch, that could be a really big play. But the as far as last I knew of the algorithm, your reviews are certainly the biggest piece. So just get those, the review count up. And obviously you want high quality reviews, but uh, spend that time every month generating net new reviews because both total number of reviews and then the newness, the freshness of the reviews matters a ton. Got it. Got it. Makes sense. Love that. All right. Question number two, what's one metric that you hate when people measure content marketing by it? I hate just keyword rankings position like total number of keywords in this position or our top 25 keywords the average rank or something like that like that doesn't matter to me one keyword ranking 40th can completely skew that second metric or you know you might have 200 number one rankings but they there's no volume or it's the wrong intent or something and so i think all of those aggregate metrics they just don't mean there's a lot of noise there. Another one that I don't like is search console. You know, it has average position, like <laughs> who gives a shit? If some, you have a bunch of keywords again that rank 99, it'll completely drag that down and they're big volume. So it'll like, really lower that, but you might be ranking for all the right things. And so I think some of those can be used directionally, but people really focus on like, here's our big keyword list and all these things that like, what's our average ranking there or whatever it is. I don't care. Give me the right blogs on page one and take each of those 
page by page, there's just better metrics to use. We're really too focused on that as SEOs. Oh my God, this is so awesome. You know, if we were in the same room, I'll give you multiple high fives. <laughs> I love that. <laughs> awesome. You teach uh, journalism at uh, DePaul University. So tell us a little bit about uh, what is the difference between that kind of journalism versus brand journalism and the one that we do as content marketers. So do you see parallels? Do you see differences? Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, I teach digital journalism courses. I am a journalist historically. I took, I did my master's at DePaul, and so I still knew people in the program. And one of the reasons they brought me in, I think, is there's great journalists teaching classes, people who worked at Wall Street Journal or other big you know, news orgs, great experience. And I wrote for the Tribune freelance and stuff, but I'm not, I don't have the big name. I don't have the deeper experience there that some do. But I have a ton of experience with the tools that journalists do use and should be using plus some journalism experience. My content marketing, like how to publish, how to get things to rank, how to get more people to your content, that is something that a lot of journalists are missing, right? We do great journalism. We just expect people to come to it, right? We did this investigation. You should read it. Okay, but why? How do you promote this? How do you you know, optimize your content so it will be found in Google? I love to show my students like when a big news event happens. Okay, look at how many people wrote an article about Donald Trump's indictment or whatever it is. Literally thousands. <laughs> The number one spot gets a million clicks. The number two, half a million. The number seven, zero, right? Like you need to be number one. And that's why this stuff matters. And you can see like a light bulb going off of, it's not just about creating the great content, but getting it in front of people. So all that said is that's what the type of stuff I'm teaching. There is differences. Like when I'm writing a best 10 software, you know, CRM software list, it's a much different piece than an investigation or a feature story. I used to do a ton of feature writing, but ultimately there's a lot of, Parallels. The skills that we use the most are like good research, concise writing as journalists. The it'll differ by what you're writing about, but generally you want to write sixth to eighth grade level for as a journalist. You want yeah. your, you want a newspaper. Anyone who can read can pick it up and read it. Right. You want a third grader to read it, and so that's yeah. the type of content that we want to do as well. Accessibility. So that's a good lesson. And then the last piece I really like is bring in real people experts, whether that's your customers or people who are experts in the field, and do interviews and bring their quotes, their expertise into your stories. So that's the number one thing that I think I've brought at a couple of different spots is how do you find good information, aggregate that in the right way, and then bring experts and let their voices tell the story. So that's where the parallels come in, but it's different all the time too. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that I've observed in the way you write is, for example, I see a little bit of inverted pyramid in every piece of content that you write, wherein it quickly answers the part that somebody is looking for, and then you go about expanding. So do you consciously do that, or it's it's kind of become an ingrained habit over a period of time? Yeah, that's a great question. I bet there's some repetition, and just uh, my experience comes in there. I do think the, the one piece is I have learned as a marketer to really lead with the hook, right? Like I need to grab attention, yeah. then inverted pyramid. And, the, you know, so I, th I think I, I've learned that like attention grabbing, the, there's a little bit of feature writing in there. So I think it's certainly both. I learned both ways, right? I learned from my journalists and like, I know how to take information and order it in the right way. And that's my journalism side. But I know how to grab yeah. attention and write something that's a little, the like, clickbaity is too strong of a word, but <laughs> I am doing that, right? I do need you to stop on my post and, and read it. Yeah. And I'm picking images that will grab your attention, right? I love to use an Ahrefs graph that goes it. up into the right. Yeah, exactly. I need to scroll stop. And so journalists don't think that way. So that's my marketing side. Yeah, yeah. Love that. All right. So uh, here's question number four. If you had to choose one profession for full time between content marketer, professor of journalism, or also looking at your background about being a sports editor, which one is your favorite? They all have different things. I mean, I've chosen 
content marketer, I think part of that is lifestyle. Journalism doesn't pay a ton and you work <laughs> nights and weekends and things. Being a pro- professor is great, you know, but I think I'm not there to just teach at this point. I love teaching because I love when I do make those connections and someone, something clicks and you can see it come to life in their stories. But I, I still want to, I still have things I want to produce in my career. So I think this content marketing side is where I am and it's intentional because I, there's new problems to solve and I can do some of these other things at the same time. But I love building. I love taking something from zero, like with Scribe and going and building it to where we got to or, you know, with Active Campaign. All right, content is working, but not like it should. How do we go from this ARR to this ARR? How do we grow like crazy through content? So I love this problem solving. And I get this more on content growth, whatever you want to call it, uh, than I get it anywhere else. So give me a problem. Let me solve it. And content's usually my solution. So yeah. that's where that's where I'm at. And that's that's the type of stuff I love to do. Yeah, no, that's brilliant. Uh, you know, my partner comes from a journalism background as well. And uh, when I asked him, why did you move to content marketing? His first answer was, there's no money. <laughs> so absolutely. <laughs> awesome. So here's the final rapid fire question. What's one thing that you think content marketing teams should do in 2023 that they're not doing today? Yeah, a couple of things. I, I think you gotta go faster. And that means a few different things. But the number one thing we did at Scribe was we cut out some of the fat of content marketing and every piece needs different things. So this is a little bit speaking in generalities, but I think a lot of teams look for perfection up front and they assume what they like. You'll, you can't stop. You can't go on LinkedIn without seeing create quality content. Like what on earth does that mean? Right? Like ultimately quality means you solved a problem for somebody. Yeah. There's tons of different problems to be solved with content, but you need to know why you're solving that. So teams will be like, we need to really work on custom images and hire this agency and do this. And like, sometimes you do need custom images, but sometimes like that graphic doesn't do anything, right? Like, have you actually subscribed to a blog and read them back because they made like a custom graphic? Like, I don't think so. You know, (laughs) it's more of did that content answer your question and make you look good at work or think of like cooking. Do you care about the graphics that are in this recipe or do you just go back to the recipe that had the best brisket or the best cake or whatever it is you go back because it's the best food it has not like has very little to do with the experience so of course you want to like make it as positive of an experience for the reader as possible they need to get to the recipe but it's about the quality of that recipe right you go because everyone at your dinner party said wow this is the best meal i've ever had you make that every time you go back to that recipe right so answer the questions and create the solve problems better than other people that is what really quality content is so Cut out some of the other stuff, especially if you're a startup, like go faster, create more content, or at least like create the right types of content and hear from your readers, hear from your users, what is quality to them, and then focus on those things. And so some of that is using AI at the right moments. Some of that is, again, cutting out some of the things that don't matter. But those would be the things that I would say, like, go faster and create and find out what really quality means to the people that matter, not to you and your content team. Because I think that those things are often really misaligned. And create a lot of wasted work. Yeah, yeah. No, this is a theme that I'm consistently hearing from a lot of people. In the last episode, um, we had uh, Will Aitken from Lavender, and he he put it in a very unique set of uh, words. He said, "Stop creating selfish content." So yeah, totally. that was an interesting. I love way. that. Yeah, everyone like so many content marketers come from journalism or creative writing or whatever, and they want to like tell their story, but like doesn't matter, right? Like you're writing for other pe- folks, so figure out what they yeah. need and communicate a lot of different things, but focus on them, not on you. I love that. Yeah, yeah. No, absolutely. All right. So you hit all five questions out of the park. That's amazing. I love it. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. It It was a blast.
Awesome. And uh, if the listeners of this podcast, if they want to connect with you, what's the best place to find and what's what's the recommended way to connect? Yeah, add me on LinkedIn. That'll be the best place. Like I have a Twitter, but I use it for my journalism and sports stuff. So hit me on LinkedIn. Definitely. I will, I answer every, every message, every comment, everything. So I'm, I'm here to have like a real relationship with people, answer questions, whatever. So anytime, uh, LinkedIn is a great place to find me. Perfect. And uh, do we have a parting message before we uh, wrap up this? No, I mean, well, first, thanks for having me. It's been a blast. Uh, and again, what I would say is create the content for the people and, that are trying to solve problems. What can you do that nobody else can uh, as a product, as a company, service, whatever, whatever differentiates you? Create content that answers those things and showcases that and do it on the right channel. I, we've talked all about blogs. And I think that's often the place. But your product might be Instagram Reels or your product might be TikTok or your product might be on YouTube. So create the content at the right place at the right time with the right problem. You'll do really well. That's that's the stuff I think people are often missing. Amazing. Thank you so much, uh, Jacob. It was fantastic talking to you and really, really appreciate your time. I think I'll go back and read this in a couple of times to take as much notes as possible. So thank you once again. Yeah, of course. Thanks for having me. It's been awesome. <laughs>